It's 1992. Your patient with an acute MI is rushed to the ED where he receives thrombolytics for massive ST wave elevations in his anterior leads. Fast forward to 2008. You realize now it may not be enough anymore. You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD special series exploring heart health. I am your host, Dr. Shira Johnson. Joining me is Dr. George Stauffer, Chief of Clinical Cardiology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and Dr. Cam Patterson, Chief of the Division of Cardiology, also at UNC Chapel Hill. Dr. Stauffer is the Director of Interventional Cardiology and in charge of the Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory. He's also the Director of the UNC Heart Center. Dr. Patterson is the founding director of the Carolina Cardiovascular Biology Center and director of the Cardiac Genetics Clinic. They're both pioneers in their field, and they practice at a premier cardiology research center, which they helped develop. Today, we're discussing improvements in the care of the acute MI. Thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for having us, Sherry. My pleasure, Sherry. Let's begin with EMS. Dr. Stauffer, what is the most striking to you in the initial approach to the MI patient? Well, one thing that was found in the RACE study, which was a big multi-center study here in North Carolina, was that about half patients with ST elevation MIs actually arrive at the hospital in their own vehicle driven either by themselves or a friend. And only about half the people come in via EMS. What we're trying to do is encourage people to use the EMS system not only is it safer, but the EMS system can activate the catheterization lab from the patient's home rather than waiting until the patient arrives in the emergency room. It's pretty interesting because in most centers they say EMS is overused. You might have some different statistics there. Dr. Patterson? Well, I think that the use of EMS systems in chest pain syndromes is clearly, I think, underutilized. And I think that the presumption that emergency medical systems are, are overutilized, I think, refers to situations in which patients may not necessarily be critically ill or in cases in which their care can be delivered in less acute manner. I think it's really critical for our systems to be designed to deal with and, and adapt to situations in which time matters. And clearly, chest pain syndromes are the number one circumstance that we deal with in which time really matters. What about triage? I began by alluding to the fact that thrombolytics, given alone perhaps in a facility that doesn't have a cath lab to follow up, have not always proven to be enough. Can you say something to our listening audience about why is that and how you've addressed that at UNC, Dr. Stauffer? Well, the thrombolysis, the thrombolytic drugs, were a great advance, and they came into widespread use in the 1980s. The downside of thrombolysis is twofold, though. They're one, they're only open about 60 or 70 percent of blocked arteries, and so there's 30 to 40 percent of people who will continue on into the heart attack and progress further. The other downside is there's a risk of about 1 percent of a major uh, stroke with a thrombolytic drug, and that risk increases as you age. Both of those problems can be overcome in the catheterization laboratory where we're able to open 99% of arteries and where the anticoagulation we're using is much safer in terms of the risk of stroke than using a thrombolytic drug. Dr. Patterson, what about aspirin? What has changed in how we use it? Do you think hospitals are using it enough now? What has changed in terms of how we use aspirin, I think, is that we now have much better data about the improvement in outcomes in patients who receive aspirin. So there's no doubt that in acute coronary syndromes, 
unless a patient has a very specific contraindication to aspirin therapy, aspirin really needs to be on board, and it needs to be on board quickly. Unfortunately, I think if you look at national data, we're still not where we want to be in terms of aspirin utilization in acute coronary syndromes and myocardial infarction. Obviously, you know, we would like to see 100% of patients who don't have an allergy or, or other absolute contraindication to aspirin have it on board immediately in the emergency room, and the numbers clearly aren't there yet. So at a national level, I think we clearly need to be doing a better job about remembering that aspirin is enormously beneficial to these patients, that it does need to be on board, and that it improves outcomes in our patients with acute coronary syndromes. Dr. Stauffer, what about platelet inhibitors? Are we using them effectively, and how should they be used? What have you seen? Well, platelets are obviously part of the problem when you're having a heart attack. Platelets cause the blood to clot within the the heart artery, and if the clot enlarges, it can close the artery and, and cause the heart attack. The platelets need to be inhibited, but the problem always is to get the right balance. If you inhibit the platelets too much, you're going to have bleeding problems. If you don't inhibit them enough, they're going to have clotting problems within the heart. Aspirin was the first effective platelet inhibitor to go into widespread use. And studies from the 70s actually show that you can reduce the chance of a major heart attack in a patient who's having chest pain by giving simply 325 milligrams of aspirin. Since that time, we've developed much more potent platelet inhibitors, both oral, for example, uh, clopidogrel, or known as the trade name Plavix, or IV formulations such as ebciximab or eptifibatide. All these drugs are very effective, but along with that effectiveness comes increased risk of bleeding. And so for the individual patient, the decision has to be made based on their condition and their risk of bleeding. Dr. Patterson, would you like to comment on that? You know, one of the big challenges and controversies, I think, in, in terms of platelet inhibitor therapy in acute coronary syndromes, particularly revolves around the use of clopidogrel or Plavix in the emergency room. Studies have shown that it is effective in reducing 30-day mortality in patients who are having acute coronary syndromes or myocardial infarction. But there's a downside to using Plavix in that circumstance, and that is that the risk of bleeding during surgery goes up significantly. Since Plavix induces a permanent effect on platelet function that will last for the life of the platelets that are circulating at the time that Plavix is administered, operative mortality and bleeding is potentially markedly increased under those circumstances. And so if you think that a patient might ultimately need coronary artery bypass grafting, using Plavix in the emergency room might actually hurt the patient more than it would help them. And I don't think that we really have good data on the overall impact of using Plavix in an emergency room setting. So it's, I think, a topic that remains controversial uh, for a variety of different reasons. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Stauffer and Dr. Cam Patterson. We're discussing improvements in the care of an acute MI. What about time to thrombolytics? Have we improved? And would either of you like to comment on what agents are used and how that's evolved? Well, I, I'll give a first stab. Sure. I would say, answering the second part of your question first, the agents most commonly used now are uh, TNK or tenecteplase and RPA or retoplase. And both of these are uh, genetic mutants of TPA. Neither drug is more effective than TPA in terms of outcomes, but both are much easier to deliver. So rather than a 60 or 90 minute infusion 
of TPA, you can give a single dose of TNK or two doses a half hour part of RPA. And going back to the first part of your question, time to treatment, I think we've seen a paradigm shift over the last 10 years in the care of SDLH-MI, whereas before the thinking was that these patients are critically ill, they're going to get a drug with significant risk, therefore we need to check their laboratory work, check an x-ray, talk to the patient family, make sure everyone's fully informed. What we realized by doing that, we lost some lives because Mm -hmm. time was crucial. And so in cardiology, we've adopted the trauma mentality where in patients who are sick to begin with, time is of the essence and it's better to initiate the treatment before having all that data back. Patient outcomes will be better based on that. Right. I remember waiting in the ED till we had the portable chest to see if there was a widened mediastinum, which on a portable film was probably meaningless anyhow, and holding back on the TPA until we got that result. So, Dr. Patterson, you'd like to comment on that? I think that one of the things that we have appreciated, especially over the past 10 years, is that I think we are plateauing out in terms of the efficacy of thrombolytic therapies. And I think that it's unlikely that we'll have major improvements in terms of the efficacy of thrombolytic therapies compared to where we are right now. And that's because there's simply a balance between the ability to open up an obstructed artery and the likelihood of of bleeding complications. And so the transition from the use of thrombolytic therapies to the use of percutaneous coronary interventions to treat myocardial infarction has, has primarily occurred as the ability to get patients in the cath lab rapidly has become of greater benefit than what we lose in the 30 or so percent of patients who receive thrombolytic therapies but don't open up their arteries. So for me, that's really been the fundamental shift in thrombolytic therapies over the past 10 years is how the balance between the risks associated with thrombolytic therapy and and the lack of efficacy has been overcome by the ability to get patients into the cath lab more rapidly. So, Dr. Stalfer, what have you seen and what have you done in your facility to get the patient into the cath lab, and what are your numbers looking like? Well, we focused on several areas to make improvements, uh, one of which is communication. We now have set it up so the EMS can alert our catheterization laboratory from the patient's home when they have an ST elevation MI, and those patients can bypass our emergency room and come right to the catheterization laboratory. We also took a uh, systems approach looking at potential time delays and realized a patient has to come in, go through the emergency room, be transported to the cath lab, be draped, and then have access. There's a lot of little delays which by themselves are maybe only two or three or five minutes, but when you add them together, all of a sudden you're talking 15 or 20 minutes. So we put a major effort into making that seamless and making the logistics work out so that the patient goes right into the cath lab in an expedited manner. Originally, the guidelines were to get patients in and the artery opened in 120 minutes. Uh, a year ago, those were modified to get patients in and door to balloon time of 90 minutes. What we're focusing on now is bringing door to balloon time down to 60 minutes and the rate of progress we're making, hopefully in 08, we will be able to achieve that for the vast majority of our patients. How do you manage that with your staff? You have staff in-house for the cath lab, or is it on call? What we do is we generally have one staff member in-house at all time and then two members who live within 15 or 20 minutes. And so when the EMS notifies the cath lab, the technician in-house will get the equipment ready, get the x-ray equipment turned on, all the computers up and running, 
the other individuals be on their way in. We have parking spaces right next to the cath lab. So Which we is don't, very important, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't lose that five minutes it would take to walk from the regular lot. And so when the EMS comes and the patient arrives in the catheterization laboratory, it is fully staffed and all the equipment is on and ready to go. Thank you, Dr. Stauffer and Dr. Patterson, for being our guests. We've been discussing improvements in the care of the acute MI. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special series exploring heart health on Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.